Hello, and welcome to the Sick Girl Missives. I'm Jillian. And I'm Jillian. We're both Jillians. And we've both teamed up for this little audio project in the hopes of exploring some big ideas. Particularly ideas around illness, as we are both sick. But also about the other big and small things that can happen to a person. Basically, we write letters to each other. In the last episode, you read your letter about things you need and llamas, which means this week I'm going to read my letter inspired by a word, phrase, or idea that showed up in yours. Anything else that people should know? Well, you're Canadian. And you're American. And (laughs) you've eaten a lot of chocolate chips today. I have. Did you, like, are you baking or is this just... Going for the chips alone. I'm I'm not baking. (laughs) Just found a dusty old bag of chocolate chips in my cupboard. And I ate more than is probably advisable for a human woman to consume. I think you knew what you needed. If anything, I'm just, I'm proud of you. Thank you. And so Jillian... (laughs) So we write we write each other lines to read in this section. And I'm staring straight down the sights at a line that involves the word slobber in it. And I, you know, I'm feeling a little hesitant about moving forward. Jillian, you're gonna make me read this line. I'm, I'm going to make you read that line. That's okay. Well, Jillian, you learned recently that goat slobber dries crusty. So you know what? Tell us more about this. So my mom, she's getting close to retiring and she she has set her sights on the next chapter in her life is she's going to be a goat lady. She's going (laughs) to make goat milk soaps and goat milk lotion. But to do that, she's got to have some goats to milk. Yeah. So today we went to go visit some goats and my mom unfortunately learned that she's not a goat whisperer, but apparently I am a goat whisperer. Oh. And I wound up covered in goats and um, those goats tried to eat my clothes and those goats tried to eat my hair. which was really cute while it was happening. But about like an hour later, when I try to run my fingers through my hair, I come upon globs and globs of crust. And while I try to break this crust up out of my hair, bits of my hair come out with it. Okay, so you've you've called yourself a, a goat whisperer. And then mm-hmm. just described a scenario in which chunks of your hair <laughs> have been <laughs> ripped out by goats. You've been covered in a crust. I don't know if that's what a goat whisperer's experience would be. I feel like a goat whisperer would likely be a person who could kind of like part the sea of goats like Moses. Just kind of part mm-hmm. that sea, walk through untouched with beautiful glowing hair and remain crust-free. So maybe your mom, who presumably is a crust-free lady right at this moment. So maybe she is the goat whisperer. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just like, I'm the flame to the moth. Yeah. Um, It was a lot of fun, and they were really (laughs) cute. And I got to give them lots of scritches, and they would shake their little tails. Hey, I'm glad things balanced out for you. Lost a few chunks of hair, got to give few scratches out (laughs) (laughs) well yeah I guess that's about it yeah let's start the show
Dear Jillian, you know how in scary movies, certain completely natural creatures are coded as evil, like rats or crows, beetles or flies. When something is cursed, it shows sign of blight, which harbingers of death and decay are drawn to. Perfectly normal and valued members of the animal kingdom are somehow vilified in our collective psyche simply because they help break down that which is no longer viable in its current form. One could argue in the West, we've become disconnected from death, so much so that any reminder of our inevitable passing becomes an unwanted, unbearable, nagging little splinter beneath the skin of the mind. I'm pretty sure this is the reason most people are uncomfortable around sick people. Why so many young people are adverse to the elderly and the smell of hospitals. But that's beside the point today, or maybe it's more adjacent. As a sick person, I find myself identifying with things coded as strange and unsettling. I mean, you know, beyond the typical former goth kid who quotes Tim Burton movies, insert Beetlejuice, I myself am strange and unusual reference here. In movies, though, things dark and creepy have a power to them that sick people do not. As a sick person, I feel most of my power lies in my ability to be inspirational. But what if I don't want to be an inspiration? When you're an inspiration, it's hard to have a bad day. When your value lies in the way you are able to make people feel about themselves, what happens when you start to make them feel worse? When I was younger, like most little girls, I used to dream of having magical powers. I was a mermaid for many years. At night, the world would flood and people would grow fins. Fins so long and flowy. Fins that reflected the moon's light even through deep oceans. Fins that would make the rainbow fish proud. Later on, I was a sprite from Fern Gully, bouncing on lily pads, running the tips of my fingers against the slimy underbelly and thinking how good it is to have muddy toes. Sometimes even now, I drive by places on my way home that used to be forested, places I used to pick berries. I imagine returning in the dark of night and raising tall, wide oaks, bushy ferns, and blooming mimosas, uprooting construction. Right now, though, I wish I was Godzilla. I want to be a giant lizard. I want to be covered head to clawed toe in bulletproof scales. I'm only 5'3", and I want to be tall, tall, tall. I want to be huge. I want my home to be underwater in some old temple you need a submarine to get to. I want to swish and thrash and squash. I want to hold helicopters in my hands and toss them like a football. I want to roar. At some point in my life, I forgot how to scream, how to yell. Now when I'm angry, my voice cracks and my bottom lip trembles. But I want goopy spit and acid saliva to spew from my jowls as I let people know just how upset I am. I want to fight a giant robot. I want there to be a sequel where the robot and I team up and I get my own tailor-made giant lizard mecha suit. I want to be formidable. When the universe sits down with me at the beginning of every week to decide how many spoons I'm going to get and how we're going to negotiate them, I want 12 extra because I've got to be kept happy. Because I'm a giant lizard in a giant mecha. And I'm the thing that goes bump in the night. Love always, Jillian. I mean, <laughs> this may be my favorite page of notes from our entire series so far because I have rats are bad. And then I have, I want to be a giant lizard, one after the other, really two hot points. Oh, good. I'm so excited. <laughs> from this wonderful letter. How close to being a giant lizard <laughs> do you think you are? Like, 
Do you have days when you do feel I'm the giant lizard? No. And I think that's why I so very much desire to be a giant lizard. Because if anything, I think most of my life, I have been the opposite of a Mm -hmm. giant lizard. You know, like I said, I'm 5'3". That's the biggest I've ever been. I haven't (laughs) been taller than that, you know? And, you know, I'm female. I don't have necessarily the best muscle tone. I've always been relatively quiet. It's been easy to speak over me my whole life. If you can think of the opposite of what a giant lizard is, I'm pretty sure it's what I am. (laughs) What about you? You think you're close to a giant lizard? I feel like maybe people have perceived me as giant lizard, but I've never felt that way myself. Let me give an example. When I was in the hospital in Scotland, when the doctor was doing his rounds, I had a lot of questions for him. And I think they were kind of expecting to be in and out, like, we're going to tell her what's up when we're going to, we're going to leave, or we're going to go to other patients. We have a limited amount of time. And I was like, absolutely not. I had like (laughs) 15 (laughs) questions and I was asking him in a very pointed way. And, and to me, that was just, that felt right to me. Cause I Mm -hmm. was like, I need to know this information. But later one of the residents who was with the doctor on rounds commented on how I had, how much time I had used up. And the suggestion, at least as I read it in the tone was like, I was causing chaos and destruction to the way things are done, Mm. taking up way too much room, bumping into things and just generally upsetting the system. Right. I think I was perceived as giant lizard, but I really just felt scared and small and needed reassurance. I would like to argue, though, that if you were truly perceived as a giant lizard, that med student wouldn't have taken that tone with you. Interesting. Because I think that was like, at least the way it sounds, it does kind of sound like that was a slightly condescending, reminding you of your place tone. And the last thing that you do to a giant lizard (laughs) is condescend to them. That's a good point. It's one of those situations where maybe, you know, like those little toys, I don't know, they came in like an egg and then you put them in the bathtub and they like blew up. It was like a little foam, like lizard or something. Mm -hmm. And then you get it wet and it expands. (laughs) expands. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's like, I was one of those. So I, I I expanded, but then Mm -hmm. I also had the power to shrink back down. Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe they saw me expand. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, actually, no, your natural size, the size you're supposed to be is the size that you were when you fit into the egg. So get back in the egg, you know, <laughs> or you're really, you're, you're just, you're just, um, a puffer fish. That's a, that's a really great metaphor that I wish yeah. I had gone with instead of it. <laughs> that goes into the egg. So I think honestly, though, there's a fluctuation of size and power in these Mm -hmm. kind of situations, these dynamics where 
it's like you shrink and grow (laughs) and you try to figure out how much space you can take up. And so I understand your desire to be giant lizard Mm -hmm. for sure. I was watching, um, I'd never seen the alien movies before. And so I started watching those over the weekends and I was just thinking like, you know what? That alien doesn't really have to put up with shit. (laughs) I mean, it's causing a lot of problems, but like, (laughs) you know, maybe there are just some moments in life where you just gotta be the ugly monster. I mean, I love this experience of watching alien and feeling like I wish I was alien (laughs) so maybe not like in that particular situation (laughs) I feel like based on what you're saying this desire is a response to a feeling of powerlessness and a vulnerability yes (laughs) (laughs) that is exactly it (laughs) right so you're like I need teeth I'm exposed and vulnerable and I can't really do anything about it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah there are times in people's lives where we all feel feel vulnerable but I just know personally for me that there's a lot that's been compounding that vulnerability you've got that vulnerability that comes from being sick Mm -hmm. and you have the vulnerability that comes with us you know going through a global experience and so I know personally it's just been a lot to kind of navigate that vulnerability have you found yourself being a little bit more raw when it comes to vulnerability like are you getting to a point where you're you're tired of of having that much of yourself exposed because it's one thing like what we what we do on this podcast we are very vulnerable about our experiences and our feelings but that's a vulnerability that we choose to have Mm -hmm. yeah in the past couple of weeks I've been working on getting accommodations for myself in my workplace because I've been working from home throughout the pandemic and realized how great it is (laughs) to not think about Crohn's disease every time all the day because I have access to my bed to lie on if I need Mm -hmm. it and I have access to a private washroom and if I'm feeling terribly I can just feel terribly and not worry about other people's perception of me in a way that I just can't when I'm in the office. So I've been seeking some accommodations for myself. And that process is an act of forced vulnerability in the sense that, you know, I was filling out the accommodation form with my my nurse that I work with. And she was asking me like what symptoms I wanted her to describe. And I was like, I don't really have, like you just have to be honest about the symptoms. And she's like, are you sure that you want that? And I was like, do I have a choice? (laughs) I mean, I I haven't had a choice about what I reveal and what I don't reveal about my Mm -hmm. illness for a very long time because it's Crohn's is a very assertive (laughs) illness. So you just like don't have that privacy and therefore you're constantly vulnerable. And I think the process of seeking accommodations, that's like a 
a real act of drawing boundaries for myself mm-hmm. that I know is making other people uncomfortable. Something that I, I feel like I have to do. Like there's nowhere for me to hide from that responsibility to myself, you know? But yeah, it makes you feel alienated. It makes you feel like, well, now people think that I'm difficult or mm-hmm. um, unreliable, unreliable, yeah. mm-hmm. over dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> let's roll out the synonyms. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> how many different ways can we say bad person? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. not a good, not a good employee. Yeah. So I feel like when I when I do that, when I lay down that boundary. I feel like I'm walking in to get pelted with tomatoes or something, you know, like I just know Mm -hmm. that it comes with a consequence and that consequence is the distancing of yourself from other people. Right. And I think for me, that exercise of daydreaming, this idea of becoming a monster in a way, like, like a literal monster, not necessarily a monster in the sense of I'm seeking out to destroy civilizations. It's kind of like leaning into this idea that, yeah, I'm a problem. We're difficult women. (laughs) We're (laughs) difficult women. And I think, I mean, I, I feel myself tense up a little bit here because we get a lot more leeway to be Mm -hmm. difficult than women of color and trans women. And even women who may not necessarily come from our income bracket as well. Yes. And so we get that leeway and that grace um, Mm -hmm. to be difficult, which loops us back to this idea of being perceived as a problem. And yeah, just like the little cog that's bumpy in all the wrong places and is therefore messing up the smooth running of the system in some way. How do you deal with the alienation that comes with being that bumpy cog that doesn't fit right? What's your approach for dealing with those feelings? Um, I do my best to try not to be a difficult woman. I think this is kind of like uh, touching on our, our conversation from our last recording about, you know, going out of our way to make it okay for other people. And so I still struggle a lot, even with my friends, when it comes to drawing lines and and saying, like, no, I can't go do that. And, I mean, I, I do tell people, no, I can't go do that, and I do... I miss out on things, um, but just because I've learned how to actually tell people no doesn't mean that I'm comfortable with telling people no. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where some of the feelings were with that bit at the end about negotiating my spoons was that there's, there is this process of you, you know, you have your energy and figuring out what your energy can be used for and trying to map out your week. And sometimes things go according to plan and sometimes things don't. But being a little bit bigger and bolder and a little bit more assertive of making the right choices for me and my health 
and not feeling bad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, I'm not there yet. Yeah. But something that's a little bit bigger and badder, I feel like could, could be there. <laughs> so I wrote down one piece from your, your letter was when your value lies in how you make other people feel about themselves, what happens when you start to make them feel bad? I think that that was, it's a, or make them feel worse. Yeah. Feel worse. So yeah, if you're, if it feels like your value lies in being that kind of smoothly running cog <laughs> and I think it does, it does. Mm-hmm. I feel that way. I, I feel that way all of the time. <laughs> That's why like bringing it back to what you're saying at the earlier part of your letter about we've become so disconnected from death. Like mm-hmm. I've always thought, God, how embarrassing would it be to die? <laughs> you know? Because it's really, like, really taking up space in yeah. a big way. A lot um. of people have to focus on you. You're going you're gonna to be causing some problems for people for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course, when you're caring for somebody who is dying, it doesn't feel that way. No, not at all. At all. But it, it's mm-hmm. just... Yeah, there's this sense of like, let the machine run smoothly as it runs through me. Um, I always, I gosh, I would get, I'm, I'm a lot better now because I'm doing a lot better. Um, but for the longest time, I could not stand up in the shower. Mm-hmm. Like I would become way too faint, even with the water on really cool and there's not a lot of steam. Like I just, I couldn't because I would pass out. And so for the better part of like a year and a half, I'd been terrified of like, what if I die in the shower (laughs) and just, and just this fear and of, of, and it was not even about dying, but about being nude. Being, being nude and the and the like extra emotional cost that would put on the person who found me you sure. know well it's just dying the act of dying I mean it's it's just like the ultimate vulnerability it's just your body just gives up on you and you just have to like lie there and let yourself be loved and cared for and that we're not I don't think that we are well equipped I don't think that we're taught how to accept the kind of generosity of spirit and love and care that comes with being cared for mm-hmm. while sick or yeah. dying like we're just not given these tools. We don't talk about it. We hide from it. We pretend it's not going to happen to us. We only engage with the idea of it in nightmares about dying in the shower nude, you know, like we just, we're so afraid of that vulnerability. It's just, there's something very human in it. And there's something very human and beautiful at allowing time to pass and seasons to change and people to come in and out of our lives 
And when they leave, it's really, really sad. Yeah. But no amount of us being sad about it is going to stop it from happening. So it needs to be something that we are at least comfortable with. We don't have to be happy about it or look forward to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we've done ourselves a disservice because we are no longer comfortable with the inevitability that we're all going to face loss. I agree. It helps to talk about it, I think. It does. And, you know, with people who aren't like, why are you talking about this terrible, dark, and hideous subject? <laughs> like, this is an appropriate conversation. Yeah. Like, it's like no, the, it's universal. The most, the most appropriate conversation. <laughs> yeah, it happens to literally every person. <laughs> literally. You're going to lose and you're going to be lost. <laughs> like, you just... Yeah. It's the great work of our lives to come to terms with that. I will say, in terms of... A good, a good way to approach death. My dear mother is a beacon, an example of like maybe what one should do. Let me explain. She has purchased her own grave. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> is currently on a payment plan to pay off her own funeral. Mm -hmm. And we have visited the site of her grave together. And it's in a Catholic cemetery and there is a big building nearby out on the side of it. There's kind of like two murals of what appear to be wizards. Okay. Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like ruby toned cloaks, long mm -hmm. Gandalf beards and hair mm -hmm. wizards. Peak D and D fan Peak art. Yes, absolutely. And we're like, yes, why is this here? <laughs> why? Why are there wizard murals at this Catholic cemetery? Apparently they're saints. Now, the artist has taken some artistic license. Okay. <laughs> on what saints look like and just really got a full wizard mode. <laughs> but like the I think the important thing there is like now my mom and I have like laughed at the sight of her future grave. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so we have a living memory in that space that I think may make it all easier. Yeah. When the time comes. Um, I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling that that might be a good way <laughs> to approach one's death. <laughs> It's yeah. certainly better than pretending like it's not going to happen. <laughs> Is this, I feel like this might be a good moment for us to happy good. Yeah. Yeah. Does that feel good to you? That does feel good. That feels, this is a good spot. What's your happy good? Um, well, you know, even though there were some crusty experiences, Mm -hmm. I got to play with little goats today. Yeah. Even though yeah. you were trampled and yeah. swarmed by goats. Hey, hey, it was it was just <laughs> unintentional goat yoga is all yeah. that was. Okay. I didn't I really realize like that's that. what we were doing. And, <laughs> and apparently that's what we were doing. 
But yeah, no, it was nice. And it was a nice afternoon anyways um, that I just got to spend time with my mom. And um, I have a younger cousin who lives with us. And we got to hang out with her and her friend. And it was just, yeah, it was a good day. Yeah, that does sound like a good day. Fun stuff. What about you? I was thinking today that I have this one big window in my apartment that opens out onto this huge maple tree. It's actually two trees um, standing very close together, but the result is an entire window filled with green. And it's also so alive in the sense that there's a, a crow family that hangs out in there. Like there's a a new baby crow that's been it was really raining hard today and it was like hunkered down under a couple of leaves (laughs) a baby crow and and the squirrels I think I may have mentioned before that there's Mm -hmm. like a squirrel nest outside of my window and so the squirrels are always in the tree and there's drama with the between the crows and the squirrels and (laughs) there's a family of flickers as well which is a kind of woodpecker and it's just like the tree just is, it's just so alive. Like it's like tree TV. Like I just, I just like stare. You don't need anything else. I don't. I could just stare because it also, the wind moves it and that's interesting in and of itself. And if you have the open, uh, if I open my window, you know, you can hear the raindrops hitting the leaves. So I would say that that's my happy good today, at least. A very, very green tree. (laughs) That's a very good happy good. Thank you. I think that that's like a, you know, people, we're meant to just like sit and stare at things. (laughs) Like trees and clouds, things that are a lot smaller than us. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. World, man. Gotta notice So vast. Yeah, (laughs) just you just gotta notice it. Thank you for listening to the Sit Girl Misses. We'll be back on June twenty seventh with a new episode. Love always, always. Jillian. Jillian. (laughs) 